With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. It was champagne football from the championship leaders and the champagne courts will soon be flying at Carroll Road with promotion almost certain for Norwich City after a fantastic, special, memorable 7-0 thrashing of poor old Huddersfield who were like deer in the headlights. They had no idea what was going on as Norwich absolutely romped home. Dave Freezer here, alongside Paddy Dabbitt and Connor Southwell. As ever, you can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. You are, of course, listening to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast with the Canaries eight points clear at the top of the table, 17 points clear of Brentford in third. And it's just a matter of counting down the days and working out when it will be confirmed, isn't it, Pad? Just, uh, just how much did you did you enjoy this one? At, at times in the first half, we were just laughing in the press box, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The Dowell and Buendia goal for me was the one. It's just literally end of a training session at Colney. Let's have a mess about. Um, let's do a bit few rondos and show off our skills. But this was actually <laughs> in an actual championship game of football. Um, and an important one at that, given that Norwich had leaked a few points in recent games, uh, albeit so of their rivals, and in the context of Watford dropping points, having led at Middlesbrough earlier in uh, the day, was it? Oh, I'm losing track now, but uh, it was, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, day before. And then, obviously, Swansea uh, getting beat home to Birmingham the night before, and then Brentford on the same night as Norwich on, on Tuesday night, only managing to draw with Birmingham. Um, you know, there was an opportunity, there's a window of opportunity there and boy, did they take it. I mean, it wasn't, as Daniel Farker said after the game, you know, in that context, happily taken a dirty 1-0 in the last minute. Well, it was about as far removed from a dirty 1-0 in the last minute as you could hope to all sorts of records tumbling in terms of the modern era. Um, just, uh, well, I think, as I think I wrote uh, in my pointers, it's essentially when rather than if and when they have sealed promotion that result last night and that performance that for me is the poster result for the whole season you know that that was a long time coming because my mind goes back to Birmingham earlier in the season when Norwich had 25 30 shots and just couldn't find the clinical edge and many games have been like that where Norwich probably won the game but could have won it a lot more comfortably if they'd taken a lot of their chances well last night it was ruthless, absolutely ruthless. And, uh, you know, for me, that is that is the zenith of this season now. It, it won't get any better than that in terms of a one-off 90 minutes. They were sublime. And, and to do it in front of a live TV audience on Sky as well, um, you know, if anybody was in any, any doubt how good this team is at this level and watch that game, then I'm sure they were taken aback because, uh, you know, it was... It was uh, uh, I'll borrow one of your lines, DF. You've talked about it, football being art and the Farco. Well, that was that was a masterpiece, really. And um, 
and, and obviously spearheaded by the two main men, Pookie and Buendia. We'll get into that in more depth. But really, it feels a bit churlish not to to pick out anybody because it was just uh, every part of this machine was in full working order. And uh, and poor old Huddersfield, you know, they didn't didn't have much of a chance. I felt before the game, really. Um, I mean, Daniel talked about their style and their sort of a Bielsa light Corberon, which is literally brave but incredibly stupid last night to foot <laughs> and forward as they did you know, in the early stages and try and almost go toe-to-toe with Norwich. I think that was uh, footballing uh, kamikaze, really. And, and and obviously, didn't help that they, their first-choice keeper got, I think he went down with a bit of illness, didn't he, in the warm-up. So, you know, you're making a late change with your keeper anyway. You've got two centre-backs with the turning circle of that super tanker. They got moored in the sewers recently. And um, <laughs> all in all, it was, you know, it was an accident waiting to happen and fair play to Norwich. Ruthless, was it five and a half time? Kept the foot down after the break, you know, ended up at seven. But, you know, even the last five or ten minutes when Pajeta and Hernandez went on and Hugo, there was enough chances there. It could have easily been double figures. And if it had been double figures, I don't think you could have argued. That's how good Norwich were. So, yeah, a result and a performance for the ages, definitely. And one befitting of a team who are looking like they're going to be romping away with certainly promotion and hopefully the title now. So, yeah, that I think in years to come, we'll look back on this season. And that'll be the that'll be the performance and result that stands out. It was uh, spine tingling at times, wasn't it? It was, and there was a great moment which I noticed in looking back on the highlights, where Richard Keogh and and their captain Jonathan Hogg were sort of uh, discussing what had just happened after. I think it was the fifth goal when the snow was falling again. The snow in early April that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but I remember the game at Derby. Um, in Farker's first season, when Madison ran Keogh absolutely ragged, I thought his career as a championship defender was over then. So how he's back playing for, for a team now, I'm not, not too sure really. But yeah, combined age of 67, Stearman and Keogh. Um, so I think maybe their time has passed. But Connor, I'm confused about something. Um, Thomas Frank said that there wasn't an outstanding team in this division. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he's um, and Ivan Tony also said that uh, a few weeks ago, they felt they could catch Norwich, which um, I'm not sure which one of those statements is is more comical at this stage. But um, yeah, Norwich are, are certainly the the outstanding team in the division by a by a mile by a stretch. I think that's that's pretty clear now. I think Watford are, are the only ones that are, are probably close, or maybe not even close. I'm not sure I'd even use that word, but. Um, they're in a good run of form, so there will be a drop off from them naturally. I think at, at some point as well, and it's remarkable. It's not just the consistency; it's the relentlessness of it. I think, and we saw last night just how quickly and how well they suffocate teams. And a lot of their games, as as Daniel Farker rightly says, have been dirty one nils or, or, or two one wins, and, and and played on fine margins. And it feels like throughout this season, we've they've kind of been threatening to do that to a team at, at some point. And I, I guess Huddersfield's fault were probably they're on the receiving end when Campwell, Buendia, Dowell, Pukki, you could list you could list the others really, all all were on form and, and at the top of their game. And um yeah, Norwich are, are by far and away the best team in this division. They're gonna win the title for me. Um they could get promoted on Saturday. All all of this is to come and it's just uh, a shame, as everything is, that, that no one's there to see it because this is a, a remarkable Norwich City side, breaking records, probably going to break more records, championship um, teams of, of recent years. So, yeah, Thomas Frank has, has probably not called that one correctly, I would argue. No. Um, it's funny, really, that you look at Swansea have lost four on the spin, haven't they? And they've probably got a job on their hands to actually stay in the playoffs now, but... 
Amazing. Yeah. I mean, we go to Brentford on Saturday. Um, things may already have taken shape a little bit before we even get to kick off at 3 p.m. Uh, Watford host Reading on Friday night, which won't be an easy game, I'm sure, because Reading um, in decent form still and, and, and need to secure their playoff place. Then Swansea play at half 12. They're at Millwall, which we know is never an easy game, who are still just about in the playoff uh, mix. But it would be a heck of a finish to the season to, to get in there. Uh, then Brentford play at Preston, who, of course, did Norwich a favour on Monday when they beat Swansea after all that fuss on Friday afternoon uh, of all the injuries and internationals and all that stuff for Norwich, which all of a sudden feels like uh, ancient history. So by the time uh, we kick off, we'll know exactly what Norwich have got to do and we'll just be waiting to to hear how Brentford get on at the same time. If not, I'm a, I'm a, a bit worried, Pad, that we might end up in a situation where they where promotion gets confirmed when Norwich aren't playing. Um, for instance, say say Norwich and Brentford would both to draw on Saturday. Um, Swansea then play midweek, which means that they um, could get, uh, they could be out of the race by that point. Uh, Brentford then play in the afternoon ahead of Norwich playing Bournemouth at 8pm on the Saturday. So, if if they were to either of those two were or no sorry both were to not win those games, Norwich would be promoted before they even kicked off against Bournemouth, which would be a bit of an anti-climax. But I don't I suppose beggars can't be choosers, really. Well, no. I mean, to be fair, if if uh, if it's done and dusted by the time Norwich kick off at Bournemouth, I'd fear for Bournemouth because I think that the the shackles will be off and they'll be in party mood, and uh, I think we might be treated to a few more goals as well because uh, that was the most impressive thing last night that they. There was still that pressure, clearly, albeit maybe released slightly because those are the teams we're talking about a drop points. But to play with that expression, that's sort of joy, really, just almost as if they were down the park with their mates, you know, certainly those attacking players. Um, that was the most impressive facet. And uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, I mean, as Connor rightly says, the fact there's no fans in Loudoun at the, at the, sadly, this season, it's essentially going to feel like an anti-climax anyway, whether they do it on the pitch, because you can, you can imagine the scenario, say they do it actually at the Bournemouth game and uh, final whistle and then contrast that with Blackburn two seasons ago and the scenes there in Carrow Road and the players touring around the pitch and, um, you know, just the, just the joy really. And um, some of the pictures, you know, I recall now, you know, Pookie and, and Farker, that's that's a, that's a great picture in our archive, you know, just uh, on the pitch after Blackburn and uh, the young lads, you know, Jamal and Max with the we're going up sort of banners, those, those type of iconic images really, um, that's going to be denied us because the canvas that you would want to celebrate those moments, which is 27,000 of your own fans or 25,000 of your own fans, sadly is going to be denied them. So however they do it, whenever they do it, in whatever context they do it, it is going to be an anticlimax, sadly. But uh, but ultimately, I don't think they'll be too bothered in terms of the end result, whether it's by definition of what they do on the pitch or whether it's because teams run out of games and, and leak too many points. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess you know, in the context of no fans, uh, if you were trying to do it, you'd want to probably do it by maybe beating Bournemouth or, or getting a positive result against Bournemouth, um, and then at least you feel that you know it's down to your efforts that it's happened. But I remember going way back in the sands of time. I think United won a title in the early Premier League years by definition of, I think, Villa that season. Um, it might even have been might even have been the first season they won it under Ferguson. I might be wrong. I'm going off on a tangent. But but it was basically by, by well, Leicester. Leicester even more recently. Didn't they win it 
that night and they were all around Jamie Vardy's house and all those social yeah. media footage that emerged um, because Tottenham, wasn't it? They didn't didn't beat Chelsea or Chelsea got a point. Um, so I would think if that is the scenario and it's a night where Norwich aren't playing, then uh, keep your eyes peeled to social media because I'd imagine even in these socially distanced times we live in now, I'm sure there'll be some sort of uh, plan. And to be fair, without giving too much away, I think that is in the minds of people at Norwich that if it, if it was to be uh, sort of achieved on a day when Norwich aren't playing, they, they, I think there might be moves afoot to try and get the players together um, and maybe just have that communal sense of, you know, we're, we're here at the end as we've been at the start kind of vibe. So that's all to be decided. Obviously, you know, a lot of logistics to work out, but um, I don't think if you're Daniel Farker now and you say to him, you know, you're going to get promoted, are you bothered? Either way, he, he, I don't think he's too bothered, is he? Because uh, ultimately, the objective was to get back at the first attempt and barring a major disaster now, that is achieved. So, you know, the summer we can maybe reflect on what an unbelievable achievement it is, but uh, there's no doubt about it. This this season will stand alone, unlike any other, for all the reasons we've we've discussed ad nauseum, really. And uh, and in that context, I've said it a few times already. I think this could go down as the greatest single achievement by any Norwich team over over a course of a season, given what they've had to deal with, really, on and off the pitch. I think it's so unique, um, and that's not a comparative of that side is better than the side that went up in the seventies or sides who won Wembley games. Um, I think it's just a reflection of a very unique set of circumstances and to have conquered it as they have done so well is, um, you know, as I say, the time to fully reflect will be in the summer. But even now, you're starting to think about where you place this in terms of an achievement. And for me, it's as good as anything any Norwich team has ever achieved. Yeah, it's quite possible that it will go down as statistically, wouldn't it? They can break the points record. They could have the best defensive record. Uh, we've got loads of stuff to... Uh, look at in those regards in the weeks to come. There's already a, a bit up at pinkin.com, which I've put up today, the facts and figures behind the 7-0 win, which has got various bits of trivia. As, as I tweeted, this is uh, sort of manna from heaven for Norwich City Statos, isn't it? For your NCFC numbers and, and Spud and, and, and people like me and, you know, people who, who like to monitor these sort of things. And uh, yeah, it will be really interesting to see how they play those sort of things. The one uh, the helpful element, I suppose, is that, we did all this two years ago. We had the great moments against Blackburn and Villa and Sheffield Wednesday. And we had the celebrations. We had the civic ceremony at City Hall with the, the whole city having a bit of a party and things. So as in the weird circumstances of life at the moment, that probably does soften the blow a little bit. You know, if, if that achievement had been happening in this circumstance, you know, a shock title win, then it would have hurt that bit more. But because they're sort of bouncing back and, and were one of the favourites to bounce back, it, it, it's a little bit different. While you were talking there, I was trying to remember what happened in 2004. I'm pretty sure they lo- lost at Sunderland, didn't they? But there were several thousand people attended a reserve game at Carrow Road, something like that. Um, and um, that might have just been for the title. I'll have to I'll have to remind myself. But I, maybe promotion was sealed. Sorry, when uh, the reserve game was going on because I think Nigel Worthington was there and stuff, and um, that's what that's when they went out. So I think Norwich have had a taste of that kind of thing you were talking about as well. Um, right here we go. Then I'm going to put you on the spot, Connor. I'll come to you first. Your favourite goal of the seven. Um, we can pick the same ones if we want. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I'm also going to go for Kieran Dowes um, just because, and, and there was a nice bit from Daniel Farker post-match where he said, um, football isn't necessarily beautiful and it's loads of tricks and it's people juggling balls and volleying in from 40 yards. Sometimes it's um, like Pad spoke about, like you've referenced as well, when, it, when it's like art and you've got players combining and it's 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 almost um, players passing it into an empty net because the move beforehand has been so good. And that for me was, um, was exceptional to watch. And I think uh, I saw your tweet um, this morning, actually, Dave, about applauding in the press box. It, it was very, very, very close. I think to that for for a lot of the goals because some of the football they were playing was was sublime. And um, so, yeah, I, I would I would edge that one with a special mention to Emmy Buendia's finish, which is very good. Todd Campwell's finish, um, and also the final goal that Jordan Hughiel finished as well. There's all, there's a shame. I think there was one um, that. Placetta put across the face of goal late on and I didn't count how many passes but um, was it MK Dons who broke the passing record recently that must have been would have been pretty close I think to, to so that. did you watch that goal that MK Dons goal they they nearly passed the ball out of play about three times like they're banging on about a 56 pass goal or whatever 40 of them must have been the defenders just passing amongst themselves and they nearly messed it up about four times <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so um, yeah uh, yeah, I, I would go. I'd go Kieran Dowes, I think. But with an honourable mention, I think beyond the penalty, it's it's take your pick, really, isn't it? Because they're all exceptional. I haven't even mentioned Emmy Buendia's pass for for Timu Puki's. What was it? His sec, first, sec, second goal, which was exceptional. Uh, I noticed someone's posted the the screenshot of where he was on the pitch. I mean, to get that assist from from that position is is unbelievable. And um, I, I just hope that uh, Pep after their their. Champions League win against Dortmund last night. I hope you remember to to record that Norwich match because I think he, he he will have enjoyed some of the football they played. <laughs> yeah, was it the Wickham game that he watched? So, <laughs> uh, which was not quite as as attractive. You know, a late Adam Eder goal. Um, I think I, I would go for the finish. I I liked Buendia's one that went in off the post. Just the way it pinged in perfectly, the noise as it came off the post, and such a perfect finish but as you say I, I love the second Pookie one because of the pass and also Buendia won the ball back didn't he with his sort of typical pressing and then quick bit of play between him Aarons and McLean and the pass was just an absolute peach and to get three assists in one half of football is pretty epic and <laughs> to, to now have 15 assists is just a he's had such an incredible season um pad i was pleased to see that you, our ratings pretty much replicated uh you Good. went for a 10 for pookie and wendia and a nine for Campwell, which is exactly what i went for uh i was on the scrimmage today as well and and rob butler took me to task on that why why was todd not a 10 as well and i just said it came down to numbers in the end that you know pookie got three goals and an assist wendia got three assists and a goal todd got one goal and assist so but to come back around to that, Todd was superb, wasn't he? And a bit like you said earlier, it was almost like watching, you know, the first team against the under-23s in training or something. He just seemed to be playing with such a freedom and being on such a mission. But I love that about Todd in, in how he is able to express himself. That's not an easy thing to do. And he's got those natural, raw skills, isn't he? Yeah, he has indeed. And what did Daniel, you know, talk about? After the Preston game, before the Huddersfield game, in terms of Emmy uh, and and the treatment he gets, you know, some of it 
pretty below the belt, really, but he's had to deal with that. And and you could broaden that out to Cantwell. Cantwell comes in for some close uh, attentions as well. I and mean, that's the nature of those type of players. But the bravery of those players, particularly to want the ball to to want to try and beat a man again and again and again, you know, when they're getting kicked and, you know, they're getting maybe in their eyes the thin end of the wedge from the officials. I mean, um, you know, the first goal, that was Cantwell driving at two players, putting them on their backside and then the composure to look up and square that across and then Pukki's got across Abisar, I think it is. Um, you know, a very simplistic goal, but it's only simplistic because you have a young footballer brought up in Norwich's academy who marries both his own individual ability with also, you know, the awareness of, of teammates and and playing the pass at the right time. He's a, you know, he's a very, very good young footballer. You know, there's things about him maybe that divides opinion in terms of off the pitch. But uh, if you want to talk about him as a footballer, then, uh, you know, he is, uh, he is some prospect, as is, of course, Buendia. You know, we, we're not talking about finished articles here. Those lads... Are nowhere near their peak, so it's frightening if they continue with the same mindset, uh, starting to show the same maturity and 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 hard work and you know relentless desire to be the best they can be. Then the sky is the limit for those two lads. Um, but in terms of the goal, I mean, you've touched on it. For me, it's it was that goal. It was the the Buendia pass over the top. Pookie with the run. You know, everything about it is the simplicity that Daniel was talking about after the game, which Connor referenced there. You know. It looks a fairly routine goal, but it's a routine goal because Emi Buendia has the ability to look up and instantly curl a ball perfectly into the path of Puki. It's simplistically beautiful because Puki's run, he knows Buendia can A, see that pass and B, execute it. He's on the move, perfectly timed run through those two centre-backs, however slow they were, you know, you're not going to catch him. And then the composure, you know, you contrast, you know, he had two or three opportunities in a very similar part of the pitch at Preston. Smash one against the bar, um, two or three of us when he needed to do better. I'm sure that was in his mind when he's running through there. But just just that composure again to, uh, you know, I mean, it looks like it maybe there's a touch of fortune because it goes in off the post. But, you know, he's gone for that corner of the goal. And, um, you know, it's just just a beautiful goal. And we saw that with those two again at Stoke away, you know, where it was that. And that was probably even a better goal in terms of that was an outside of the foot pass from Wendia. Pookie's on the left-hand side rather than the right-hand side of the box and he's cut it back across the keeper and it's gone in the far corner. So, aesthetically, that was probably a better goal at Stoke. But but for me, that just is... That is Norwich at their best. You know, they're, they're probably two best attacking players combining perfectly in sync. Um, and it's devastating, you know. It doesn't really matter what you do as a defensive unit, really. I mean, OK, you could have more mobile centre-backs, but I still think the movement and the quality of the pass catches pretty much every team out in this league. So that for me, but, you know, it's a bit of a barroom debate, really. I don't, I don't think you, you you really can say one is outstandingly better than any other. It's just what fits your eye. And, and that, that was the goal for me, really, because obviously there was also a little series of one-touch passing with, I think it was McLean, I think it was Aaron's as well as Wendy, tied to the right touchline, which again is peak Norwich, isn't it? It's those triangles and trying to manoeuvre players out of position. Um and for that to proceed, then the devastating forward pass and then Pookie's finish. Uh, I guess if you're Daniel Farker, that that is that is what he's trying to coach. That type of intuitive, don't even think about it, just play it, and it's there. I mean, that is last night again a testament to that man's coaching that he can he can produce a team that can play that type of football. It really is. Um, 
you know, huge credit to him as much as we're talking about these individual players. You know, he's the man who's brought this all together and is on course for his second title win, which is some achievement. It is, yeah. It would be the first time a Norwich City manager has won the title twice uh, in the second tier, of course. Um, Ken Brown won promotion twice, I think I'm right in in saying. Um, but um, I also dug out the sort of figures since the Premier League started in 1992 only three managers have won the second tier title twice uh kevin keegan did it uh with newcastle and man city peter reed did it twice with sunderland and mick mccarthy did it with sunderland and wolves so um he's gonna join some pretty esteemed company if they can get that that element of the job done Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City Podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. One fact I was worked out, 87 points has been enough for promotion all but three of the last 20 seasons. So uh, a little bit more confidence for the pile there. And, and Connor, finally, um, which seems a little bit odd, a bit like Pukki scoring his first championship hat-trick and only his second hat-trick for Norwich. That's the first time that they've scored five under Daniel Farker. Um, they'd scored four in nine games up to that point. But how many times this season, from pretty much every single Norwich City fan, or analyst has has someone said well someone's going to get a beating at some point yeah yeah virtually every week haven't we and that, um, that probably could have been the case on good friday couldn't it the amount of chances that team Ibuki had alone at preston so yeah it, it was probably through no real fault of Huddersfield, apart from abysmal defending at times that they caught norwich on a very very good night and this was bound to happen at someone to someone at some point um and unfortunately for Huddersfield, they rocked up when when Norwich well, were, were at the peak of their powers, so to speak, and Timu Puki managed to, to pack his shooting boots. So it's it's been coming. It's been a long time coming. I think when, when you look at Norwich um, compared to, to the last title-winning season, they haven't scored as, as many goals. And you can maybe point to, um, again, poor finishing, as, as I'm sure some will. But equally, the nature of the division, I think, this year has been different. You've got sides that are, are, play, are trying to play on fine margins. We mentioned Millwall and the fact Swansea have got to go there and, on, on Saturday lunchtime. There's a side that very re- rarely um, scores or concedes uh, more than one goal. So it's, it, it goes to show, I think, the, the status of this division this year, that, that Norwich are playing on the whole resolute defences that look to frustrate them. That's naturally going to lower the amount of goals they can score. Um, and last night we saw a Huddersfield team that didn't just press them badly, but continued to do it all evening. And and it really it was it was easy pickings. And um and, and that for me is is kind of been the the difference and maybe why Norwich were able to score seven. And and let's be honest, Paddy's right, it could have been far more. I think about Marco Steepman's chance right at the death where he blazed it over and it was um a pretty free effort that he had around the penalty area. The there, there were numerous others. Exactly hit the bar. Um it really could have been uh, we, we could have been into record-breaking territory in terms of results. So it's um, it's pretty remarkable scoreline when, when you see it. And, and it's um, every time you see it written down, it's 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 incredible. But equally, probably didn't really flatter them. It, it probably could have been even more. So 
Um, yeah, it's it's been a long time coming. My most pleasing thought, I think, is is you see teams often racing to leads at half time, whether it be four, five, whatever, and the second half they can just come out and lose a little bit of their intensity, concede a couple of goals, and just let the standards drop a little bit. With Norwich, that wasn't the case. You could see there was a real determination to keep a clean sheet. There was still that relentlessness, that willingness to score goals. Um, there was a moment in first half stoppage time where Daniel Farker was was urging his centre backs forward for a set piece, but and 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 saying, "I, I want more goals." And yeah. Um. And, and and even at the final whistle, when when you see those images of him coaching Andrew Omabamadile about his positioning at a defensive throw-in, it goes to show, I think, the the meticulous nature and and the pursuit of success. And that for me is probably why this promotion feels a little bit different because it's been a, a, probably a little bit more business-like, I would say. it's It's been less about riding a wave and a bit more about, well, this is what's expected and, and standards and maintaining those high standards. And and um, that's been really impressive and that was probably encapsulated, I, I think, in what we witnessed last night into one performance. And this Norwich side is so well-oiled that eventually one team was going to turn up, perform badly, but equally be on the receiving end of, of a Norwich side with so many players in form. That just happened to be Huddersfield. Could have been anyone, I think, in the league and, and, and the scoreline maybe wouldn't have been too drastically different. So, um, so yeah, it, as Paddy said, it will be the standout result of the season for sure. But equally, they've got to go again on Saturday and make sure that it's not like after that, that Manchester City game where we all trekked up to Burnley and it was a bit like after the Lord Mayor show. They've got to make sure it's not that. And uh, and that's where I think for me it comes into standards and, and that pursuit of, of sort of um, perfection, I suppose, and, and that relentlessness to, to win games and win titles because that intensity, I think, is what sets them maybe apart from their competitors at the top of the table. You just um, got me thinking, didn't... Oh, no, it was Man City that beat Norwich 7-0, wasn't it? Not Man United. But I'm pretty certain Wayne Rooney was in quite a few heavy wins for Man United against Norwich over the years. A few 4-0s here and there. But from what we've seen of Derby in recent uh, months under Rooney, they've tightened up quite a lot. So I'd I'd be very surprised if they were anywhere near as open. Um, Twitter is slightly ablaze, as it tends to be, fellas, as we're recording. Um, you had the Ipswich takeover go through today and then you had the usual pointless round and round in circles of Norwich and Ipswich fans arguing an argument which will never be won. <laughs> and a Norwich fan says something about Ipswich and an Ipswich fan says, oh, they're obsessed with us. An Ipswich fan says something about Norwich. Norwich fans say they're obsessed with us. Just leave each other alone. It's like children playing. Anyway, I digress. 442 have published their usual yearly list of the top EFL 50 players. Um, and Norwich fans are quite wound up by the fact that even Tony, even though he is the championship's top scorer, has scored 28 goals. I think he's got nine assists as well, has been named number one ahead of Emi Buendia. Timu Puki in third, Max Aarons 11th. I'm nearly getting his name now. I, I still keep slipping into Aarons occasionally, but Max Aarons is 11th and Todd is 13th. So what do you make of that, Pad? Sorry, mate. Yeah, um, I was aware that that was probably going to be the ranking. Up, I mean, ultimately, if it comes down to numbers, then what did you say? There, twenty-eight goals and nine assists. I mean, that's I think that's, so. I'll double check that. that. That's that's better than Emmy, isn't it? If if you want to talk about it in pure numbers, now if that's the criteria, we don't know what the judging panel have, have ranked above others in terms of uh, what's led them to arrive at this decision, but. 
I mean, it's 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 not that hugely surprising that a guy who scored twenty eight goals and has nine assists is probably ranked as the top player in the championship. Now, if if you want to ask me, I mean, who would I rather have in my side out of those two? Then it's a no brainer. It'd be Emmy Buendia all day long. Um, I'd like them both. Big, well, well, no, no to be honest, I'd have Timu Pukin and even Tony. I, I think yeah, there's an all round yeah. striker, certainly the way Norwich play anyway. But <laughs> the, the, these debates, you know, they're, that's what they are. They're, they're, they're put out there to spark that type of debate. And they've obviously got the bites from what you're saying that they would probably would have wanted from the Norwich fan base. But ultimately, it's like trying to place a 7 0 over Huddersfield in context, you know, historical context. It's just an endless debate that you're never going to reach a definitive conclusion. I mean, ultimately, um, it wouldn't surprise me if Ivan Tony goes on to be named Championship Player of Season for the same reason that his numbers are, are ridiculous. Uh, they're off the Richter, but is he? You know, is he the the most talented footballer in the Championship? No, I don't think he is. I think probably Emi Buendia could lay claim to that. But this is what I'm saying: it's subjective. These things, isn't it? It's what the panel are looking for. It's why Daniel Farker continually seems to be overlooked for manager in a month. As he as he appears to have led a team to a second consecutive title, um, and I think he's only won it once, hasn't he, in the time he's been in England, which yeah. is ridiculous. So, um, you know, we could we could have a, a whole range of pods devoted to these type of uh, listicles, but uh, you know, ultimately, the 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 effectiveness of those two players, Tony and Buendia, in terms of their respective sides, is huge. You know, they have carried a lot of their their respective teams' efforts this season. So. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be getting too aerated, but I know which of those two I'd rather have on my side ultimately. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, presumably it's just a literal first and second. It's not like a rating or anything like that. You know, one isn't X amount of percent ahead of another, is he? I don't know what the criteria was. Well, I think it's decided by their writers and their, their experts right. as, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. The list so was compiled the, by the a number... What's the, the full list top is compiled 10? by a number of 442 writers with help and expertise offered by fans of every single EFL club. Fans of every club. Okay, well, that's going to be a subjective uh, poll, then, isn't it? If it's a, I'm sure the Brentford fans would say immediately Emmy Buendia. Likewise, Norwich fans would say Ivan Tony. So straight away, not really placing a lot of uh, credit on a, a poll that has been conducted by fans of various clubs because ultimately, where's their loyalty going to lie? It's going to lie to their respective clubs, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a poll, but um, either way, uh, you know, which one is more likely to play um, Champions League football, international football of the two? I'd say Emi Buendia. I mean, I like Ivan Tony a lot. I think he's a really good player. But I guess from what you were saying there, you know, if you add that up, 29 goals. Uh, well, if it's not on this seat, yeah. I mean, if it's about this season, if it's about who will go on to have the better career, then that's a different criteria. But clearly, yeah. it will only be on the effectiveness of what has gone before this season. And I don't think you can argue with Tony, ultimately, because his numbers are, as, are better than anybody else's in the division. That's probably what it boils down to. Yeah, he's got 37 goal contributions and Emmy's got 27. So I'd imagine that's probably, if you're a neutral, then that's probably going uh, to sway you. But you're talking about two very good footballers, aren't you? And this is just the sort of thing that football fans like to get um, a little bit wound up by. So um, we've got quite a few other bits and pieces I want to squeeze in. Um, Connor, if I come to you next on Grant Hanley, his 100th appearance for Norwich, um, spoke to him after the game and he said, um, you know, he would have liked to have been there a bit sooner, but obviously he's had his injuries. And he admitted that, you know, he's, he's something along the lines of, um, you know, I'm not really an emotional guy, as you as you know, but this is uh, this has really meant a lot to me. So um, he has been 
well, fantastic this season. We've just seen him very much back in the, the Scotland setup and probably a good chance of playing at the Euros now, as long as he stays fit. But overall, I think when you look at those 100 games, when he has been fit and, and in a decent rhythm, he's been a good servant for Norwich, hasn't he? Yeah, and, and he came in, well, after that, that defeat to Millwall, that, that away defeat that was so horrendous and and was then a, a key part of the, the 10 game unbeaten run, wasn't he? So um, he's, he's been pivotal and, and, and maybe the problem with him prior to this season was, as you say there, he'd have a spell of games, he'd have a run where it looked like he was getting back to his best and finding form again. And then an injury would strike and keep him out for weeks, if if, if not months, and and we wouldn't see him again for a while. And and, and this season he's managed to keep himself fit. He's um, well, he's, he's captain. He's he's clearly a, a major part of their group, and I think that's really epitomised by the way he, he talked and uh, Omabamadele again through through the game last night. And there was a lot of encouragement, a lot of um, a lot of advice as well at times. And 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 it's so important to have these figures. I think when when you talk about Norwich City's culture of bringing through young players. Yes, you need a coach that's capable of, of of throwing them in. Yes, you need a club that's willing to give them an opportunity. But equally, you need pros there that are willing to help them learn. And, and I think he's one of those. And um, when you look maybe at, at, at who's lost or who's who's gone out of that back four, Godfrey, uh, Lewis, Aarons is, is probably going to be the next one. I think they'll all point towards Grant Hanley as being a, a pretty big character for, for their development. So he's, he's been big on on that degree as well. I think he's improved. Um, I think there was maybe this perception of him, probably the perception that there is externally, that he's a little bit slow. He's probably an old fashioned centre-back. And I think actually slowly, but surely he's proven that he, he is a bit more than that. He is, uh, as we know, <laughs> pretty quick. Um, uh, it's, it seems a, one of those footballing myths, doesn't it? That everyone kind of assumes he's slow because he's big, rough and, and Scottish, but that's, that's not quite the case. Um, and I think he's improving with the ball at his feet as well. He's not Ben Gibson levels, admittedly, but he, I think that's the reason their partnership was so good because they complemented each other really nicely. And he's been a, a big character on and off the pitch for me. It's been an excellent season. It will be capped off, hopefully, by an appearance at the at the Euros, which is um, probably dream stuff for him, really. And, and he seems to have a really uh, sort of a real affiliation with the club as well. So he's going to have another chance at the Premier League. I think he is Norwich's best centre-back. Um, in terms of raw defensive ability, um, and he's he's got another opportunity to prove himself. But uh, yeah, I, I think we'd have all liked to to see him get to 100 games a bit quicker. But his response to the setbacks that he's had has been tremendous, and you can see why Norwich um, paid in in the Weber era era rather fairly big money to to sign him because he's been a pivotal part. I think of of the change that's happened in in the last four years or so. Yeah, he's been a proper captain and and that has been shown, as you say, by the way he's helped steer young Andrew Omabamadeli through these two games. Pad, how impressed have you been with him at 18 years old, such minimal experience, really, to be chucked into what was a, a fairly testing situation at Preston? But there's been some genuinely quite promising signs there, haven't there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Preston was the one of the two because, you know, that's fairly relaxed out in for him against Huddersfield until his head coach wants to do an impromptu coaching session on the final whistle. But uh <laughs> what I did what I did what you know watching him closely even Tuesday night was you know the maturity in terms of his concentration levels. There was one quickly taken free kick, I think it was in the first half. Uh, Danny Ward was in behind and he's literally come across, he swept up, um, sensed the danger. And that to me is, you know, a window into what that 
lad's temperament is all about. That you've got a, you know, an eighteen-year-old who isn't looking around him and my God, what am I doing here? Uh, this is way too fast for me. Uh, I'm, I don't feel I'm ready. He clearly feels he's ready, and he was playing like he's ready as well. There was no sense of an inferiority complex at all, and uh, you know, the talent really isn't in doubt because you're not coming through as one of the shining lights in Norwich's academy now nowadays unless you've got the talent. But it's the temperament. The temperament is why. Aaron's, why Lewis, why Godfrey elevated themselves out of that pack of academy talent and and made the leap to the first team. It wasn't about talent per se because they've all got talent. It's you know that mindset that that I can play with these characters who maybe been around the block a lot longer than I have, and I feel I'm good enough, and I'm going to show that as well. I'm going to take my opportunity. Max Aaron's, look how he's took his his opportunity. You know, never looked back since a full league debut. Portman Road of all places. So early days, we won't get too carried away. So certainly Daniel won't. Um, but he looks to have all the raw materials to be another one who maybe, if he continues to track as the hope he will in eighteen months, two years time, you're talking about him in the same breath as, as maybe Aaron's or, or Lewis before him, or even Todd Cantwell now. So you know that's that's a huge asset because centre half is clearly an area you know with. Christoph Zimmerman's injury issues. You know, there's a question mark there. Tim Close, so I don't think we'll be seeing him again in an orange shirt. Um, and it's not enough just to, to certainly, if they hope to bridge the gap and stay in the Premier League, they're going to need to hopefully have enough strength and depth in key areas of the pitch and centre-half, as was proven, sadly, last time they were in the Premier League, was an area they got caught out at. Um, and if they can breed one of their own who potentially could be good enough to play at the Premier League level, then... Uh, well, you know, it's another testament to the, the, the processes that Weber and Farker and Steve Weaver and all those other guys have put in place. That, uh, you know, there's a young man who they've spotted, like Adam Eder, in Irish football. And what, a, what a fertile breeding ground that is proving to be uh, in current times. And uh, potentially, he could go on to be a very, very good player. Um, but it is only potential, so we can't get carried away. What we've seen so far... Is promising and quite exciting, but uh, you know he's a long, long way from the finished article, and uh, you know he will need to be carefully managed. But in Daniel Farga, he's got an absolutely perfect coach to do that because he, his track record with young players is, uh, is second to none. So he's in safe hands, and if Daniel Farga wants to coach him on the pitch at the final whistle, I'd be listening. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean it's dreamland stuff for him to be dropped into a title battle you know he could now end up certainly with a promotion on his CV and hopefully with a title winner's medal he's going to learn so much from this and then it's going to be very interesting what promotion will do for his career because the way I see it is you've got those three centre-halves who are there I think they should be spending a, a good chunk of money on getting in one potential starting starting centre-back um, you know you've got Gibson and Hanley who potentially are good enough for the Premier League but I think you need someone at least of their standard to be added into the mix as well. And then one of Akin Famuo or Omabamadeli as the sort of young prospect to compete and push. Um, but of course, the one who's not playing needs to be out on loan. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But what is so impressive, I mean, I, I was writing up the um, my Grant Hanley interview just before we started recording and he gave a few words of praise to what the academy do to prepare these boys because he said every time they come into training and join the first team group. They all seem to be so calm and composed. And he said that that is a real feather in the cap for the academy, basically. And actually on the pitch as well, you could see that he knows the system. He fitted in. I mean, 
Tuesday night, Norwich, it was the highest ever pass completion percentage ever in the Farker era, 92%. They'd never managed that. And Omar Bamadeli had the highest. He had 98%. And uh, there was only three other players who had more passes than him. So he has got a natural bit of ability there in terms of passing. And and as you highlighted, the way he actually reads the game, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how he develops. But um, we'll, we'll have to find out whether he's running on adrenaline a little bit at the moment or whether he can actually find that consistency because... That's what Daniel's talked about a lot with Todd, isn't it? it? That finding consistency was the big difference. And that is what Max Aarons has done from moment one, isn't it? He's been consistent and Jamal was for a long time as well. To take that on a little bit, Connor, and we did see Barley Mumba on Friday as well when Max had a little ankle knot, didn't we? What did you make of him? Do you think he continued the narrative which has been building for a little while in terms of if someone were to come in with the big money for Max, that he is a, a potential uh, successor or just for just for... Uh, argument's sake, say, I don't know, Everton or Bayern Munich or one of the 120 different clubs that have been linked with Max come in this summer with 40 million on the table. All right, fair enough. Off you go. Best of luck, Max. Do you think he is ready to compete for that or do you think he would have to be the competitor for a frontline player? Uh, no, I don't think he is ready. And and I, re I really like him as a footballer. Um, I think he's really exciting to watch and you can certainly see shades of of errands in him in terms of similarities but he, I, I think defensively there's still work to do positionally there's still work to do um so I think he would he would probably be a back line hopefully of course with, with Sam Byron possibly in that debate come the summer as well with then maybe an additional fullback but I think Mumba long term is the one you look at I think he's a very exciting young player and you have to remember that as well for, for Sunderland and, and South Shields, where he was on loan, he's playing as a central midfielder. So it's, it's still probably relatively a, a relatively new position for him. Um, positionally, probably got caught out for, for Preston's equalising goal, but very exciting to watch. Clearly loads of talent in there, raw materials, I think, to, to be moulded into a, a Daniel Farker fullback, someone who, who has lots of energy, wants to get high at the pitch, wants to support attacks. Um but yeah, just a little bit too raw for me at this moment in time. In a year or two, maybe slightly different. But yeah, right now, heading into the Premier League, I think you, you probably would need a, a front line option with with maybe Mumba um, behind him. Maybe someone that can tutor him a little bit as well, because um, there's still lots of, of work to do, but lots of talent there, like I say. And if you can harness that and, and develop it over the next couple of years and I think you've got a very very exciting fullback on on your hands so um so yeah I, I would say not quite yet but um I, I can certainly see a space for him in that Norwich side in, in in the not so distant future that's for sure yeah and he's 19 isn't he and you know it, it, promotion as we've seen a few times with Norwich in the past can have a big impact on young players coming through Tom Adiemi and Corey Smith are the ones people always go back to in the Lambert era aren't they that um, promotion came at the wrong time for them so you know, there's some good talent available from Norwich this summer, potentially. Josh Martin, Daniel Barden, Omatoy, uh, the ones we've already spoken about. So, um, as Daniel would say, let's not go too deep with it just yet, Pad, because I think we're going to analyse recruitment and what's going to be done this summer uh, a lot <laughs> in the weeks to come, particularly if Norwich get uh, promotion signed and sealed pretty soon. Um, but there are, I did a piece, when was that, earlier this week or last week, sort of laying out the potential summer business, didn't I? And there is a lot of stuff to be sorted through by Stuart Weber and his staff, isn't there? You know, Mo Leitner, Tribal, Closer, as you mentioned. There's loads of it. Absolutely, uh, in and out. And um, 
you know, you go back to when Norwich got relegated last season and Sure Weber's done, you know, fronted up as he does always and uh and basically said he let Farker down in that in that summer window that preceded the start of the Premier League season, they fundamentally were poor recruitment wise, you know, and look at the names of Ralph Farman's of this world, um, Patrick Roberts, Ibrahim Amadou. Um not enough decent quality players. And obviously the counter argument or at least the mitigation was the finances were such that they couldn't really do too much more in terms of going out and paying six point two for Yanulis, eight million for Gibson subject to promotion. That is different now. This time around, those two deals are in place. The finances are in place that they can have a proper go within Norwich's self-sufficient means, of course. And uh, and the acid test is coming for, for Stuart Webber in, in the context of he got it wrong by his own admission two summers ago. And Norwich paid, ultimately, by a pretty abject attempt at staying up. Um, and he will need him and Kieran Scott and all the other scouting network around them will need to be far better going into this summer. And that, that I'm obviously talking with a focus on incoming business, but yeah, there is a lot of internal business that, you know, Daniel was asked again about Alex Tete the other day, um, more or less said that it's just been too hectic. They haven't been able to sit down and have those conversations they need to have, you know, with him, with Mario, with Michael McGovern. And, and that will all come to pass between now and the end of the season. But uh, ultimately, um, I think quite rightly the focus will be on incomings because I think outgoings is is more housekeeping. I think the likes of closer tribal Leitner, Dermich, not going to feature. They didn't feature in the championship. Why would they feature in the Premier League? So, so for those lads, it's um, exit strategies. Um, for the likes of Mario and Alex and Michael McGovern, it's potentially new deals or you know uh, an exit strategy that is agreeable to all parties. So they're all they're all. Plates. I'm sure Stuart Webber's spinning because the nature of how he goes about his business, he doesn't leave things to chance. As he always says, uh, he likes to have his feet up watching Deadline Day and Jim White and his yellow tie and da 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 on Sky. He doesn't like to be part of the circus. So, you know, take that approach and then stretch it over uh, an actual window. You can be sure that Norwich are very well down the road with potential income in business. And uh, more interesting for me is how busy they're going to be because... We've talked a lot about players who will go, but they're fringe players. It's what happens if Aaron, Aaron, sorry, goes. What happens if <laughs> Cantwell? What happens if Wendy goes? Because that has a detrimental impact in terms of Norwich's starting eleven. So, as much as it's incoming business to add to, they might also have to do incoming business to replace key players. So, there is a lot of moving parts to this summer, and one thing is for certain: it will not be done. It won't. Um, it didn't stop somebody on uh, emailed me earlier. Well, it was this morning, the night after a seven nil, when they pretty much confirmed promotion, moaning about the fact that Delia and the board won't spend any money. Um, <laughs> just don't bother supporting the club if you're not. Is it Robbie Savage? <laughs> he, he it's too far for him, Connor. Too far. <laughs> um, yeah, some people I just don't know why they bother to support the club it's just like if you're not going to pay attention to the actual finer details then <laughs> but go to the extent of and the effort to email a journalist to moan about a tired tired old sort of trope then just why bother if you can't enjoy a 7-0 for the moment <laughs> anyway Connor, um, I just wanted to give you a quick chance to plug that you are going to be keeping Stum for a, a while. Um, when the date is coming up, isn't it? Your sponsored silence. Yeah, everyone will be relieved to hear. 22nd 
I think off the top of my head Thursday. So um, yeah, I've had to I've had to work a few things to make it possible, but that's the date I've gone with. So I'm hoping now that I don't double book myself by accident and plan to arrange a video or, or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, all in aid of of Norfolk Mind um, for sort of mental health in in Norfolk and stuff like that, which is um, which is a worthy cause. So uh, so yeah, happy to to be involved and happy to to shut up. Much to the relief of everyone else and and those who live with me, that's for sure. The sort of news reporter in me um, feels the urge to ask the question, sort of why, what has been sort of the motivating reason behind why you decided to do it? <laughs> um, well, I, I, someone who I, I know works there. Um, and, and so he's, he's been telling me firsthand, I think throughout the last year, kind of the difficulties that they've had, not just in terms of helping people, but actually reaching people that I think are suffering and um, maybe people not being so forthcoming um, about, sharing their struggles because of the pandemic and because of maybe a fear of sort of overwhelming different services and stuff like that and equally like everyone else I suppose probably know lots of people that have been affected by it I'm probably fortunate that I I haven't experienced it on a on a great sort of extent I think everyone sort of has dips don't they and stuff but naturally over this last year I think that's that's probably become part of everyone's life but yeah mainly because of the work that I've heard that they've they've been doing and, and how they've been supporting people and just felt like I'd try and help in, in whatever way I can. And uh, I think we're 710 pounds in. So that's, that's already surpassed my expectations. Wow. So, um, so yeah, pretty pleased with how it's going so far. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm sure you lads will tell me, I'm not sure if it's a compliment or not that people are donating to have me shut up, but there you go. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's all for a good cause. So I guess I'll, I'll take it. You brought it on yourself. <laughs> there you go, yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, I'm, all the details are on your Twitter account, aren't they? Yeah. Um, you've tweeted a few. Um, so if, you, if you'd like to sponsor Connor, then please do. Um, I've been working on a little something since this morning, which I'm going to put on Twitter. Um, for those of you who use Spotify, I've started putting together a playlist of Norwich City songs as we're going to be in sort of promotion party mode. Um, so you've got Starman by David Bowie, Daddy Cool by... Boney M, um, various things, uh, Don't You Want Me, The Human League, Park Life, Blur, etc. So I've put that together. I've called it the Pink and Podcast Norwich City Playlist. Um, looking for any extra suggestions. Um, and of course, you can uh, subscribe to that playlist. So I'll, I'll put that out on Twitter. Um, I th- hopefully that will come in nicely. Samba de Janeiro, of course, on there, which is still going strong as the goal music. Uh, where do you stand on goal music, Pad? Rather not, Dave, if it's all the same for you, mate. <laughs> uh, there's something Ridiculous. called the Norwich City Calypso, which I'd forgotten about. There's um, there's several things on there, but um, I, I stuck Don't Stop Me Now on there as well, Queen Classic, because that always reminded me of going to Carrow Road when I was a kid in the season ticket in the River End. They always seem to play that until 10 minutes before kickoff, whatever. That's always reminded me of the football. So, um, yeah, I'll tweet a bit about that. But that will do. Uh, what, a, what a week, what a pod, what a season. Thank you very much, boys. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Of course, we'll have absolutely loads of stuff at Pinkman.com for you. We've got loads of plans in place for, for when the big day arrives. And thankfully, we can just start counting down the days to, to when it will arrive. And uh, all of us, journalists, media, fans, everybody, I guess we've just got to make the most of it because it's been a, a weird old year. We've got to savour as much of it as we can. <laughs> <laughs>